Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Greetings. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, your host. The website can be found at www.scriptureandprophecy.com. Well, I, uh, I hope to do a devotional on those verses I just read, uh, hopefully by the end of the week. I just wanted to read it for you today so you can be thinking about it. I'm not going to spend any time giving commentary on it right now. Uh, like I said, I'd probably plan on doing a devotional uh, related to this. Um, but I just want you to ponder on those verses um, for a few days. Um, let me just read verse 8 one last time. He says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good or a are of a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Well, today we are resuming our study in the Gospel according to Luke. We're ready for chapter 5. And uh, in this chapter, we basically kind of have like the calling of discipleship. Okay. We have Messiah calling the fishermen to follow him, calling Matthew the tax collector to follow him. And then we have uh, him having this dinner at, you know, with a bunch of uh, tax collectors or politicians. And of course, it's frowned upon because it's like, why would you hang out with these people? And I think one of the themes it's that towards the end here is, is Jesus pointing out the fact that discipleship and conversion is a process. You know, none of us were instantly super Christians, right? None of us were just like right out of the gate, obeyed the law and uh, walked with Christ and just just like in this perfect manner. Um, you know, I often like to say what I've, and, I, and I'm just regurgitating a pastor from my early days of Christianity who would say, I'm not who I want to be, but I'm not who I used to be. Right. There's a process of growing in this discipleship of Messiah that never ends. You're always growing more and more in repentance, growing more and more in holiness. Or at least you should be. And um, so anyway, that's kind of what I believe he's pointing out at the end. Um, and we'll take a look at that. Uh, not a very long chapter, 39 verses to cover this morning. All right, let's jump right in. King James Bible, the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 5. 
verse 1. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gesserat and saw two ships standing by the lake, and the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down thy net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came, and they filled both ships, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's take a breather here. I just find this part, there's so much I like about this. Number one, Jesus tells him to go out and drop the nets. And there's there's two like responses here of Peter that I just really like, uh, I just really admire. Number one, he's a professional fisherman. This is what he does for a living. Okay, so he knows that by all fisherman logic and experience, this is a waste of time to go out and drop the nets. But I like his attitude. He says, Lord, we've been at this all night, but at your word, I'm going to do it. So I, first of all, I like that attitude. He's saying, you know, even though this doesn't make sense to me through my human knowledge and human experience, I'm going to obey God in this uh, because... He, you know, I'm going to obey Messiah here. He said to do this. I'm going to do it. And at this point, Simon doesn't even know he's Messiah. He's just being respectful. Uh, or maybe there's something inside him that knows he needs to obey this teacher, right? So they go and they drop the nets, and there's so many fish that they can't even deal with them. Nets are breaking, and they fill up two ships. I wonder what the financial benefit of this would have been. I wonder if this would have been enough to fund them and their families to abandon their careers and their jobs to forsake all that they have and to follow Messiah not something that's in the scriptures I'm just raising the question but here's what I like the most is Simon sees this miracle and he acknowledges there's something about this person he calls him Lord and he tells him to depart from him he says depart from me I am a sinful man I like Peter's vulnerability here, and I like how he's being honest with himself and his own character, and he realizes that he's in the presence of holiness, and he's saying, get away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. And Jesus' response is, hey, from this point on, you're going to be fishing for men, right? And it's just a beautiful picture that we just kind of gloss over all these little nuances. 
And again, uh, as far as the fish and the economic benefit that I just mentioned, that's not scriptural. That's just me asking a question like, what happened with all this fish? What, you know, I just, I'm just curious. I'm just, just curious about that. And I also like how they said that they, they forsook all that they had. They forsook all. They said, this world, worthless. I'm following this guy. Mm, that could be a lesson for us right now, couldn't it? That could be a lesson for us today. All right, let's move on. Verse 12. And it came to pass, when, we, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He put forth his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed of man which was taken with palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling which, which his couch, with his couch into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them, and he took up that whereon he lay, and he departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And after these things he went forth, and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Please note, a lot of people, because there's other, there's other uh, accounts of this in the other Gospels, and then and where this is recounted, 
this verse that says, I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. But unfortunately, in a lot of the modern translations, in the other Gospels, um, it just says, I've called, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. And those versions, I believe, intentionally leave out the repentance part. And so a lot of people walk around going, oh, well, Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. He called to call me. I'm a sinner. I'm just a sinner, you know, and they, and people kind of glorify the fact that, oh, I'm just a sinner. Jesus called me. But really, what it's saying is that Jesus is calling the sinners to do something, to specifically do something, which is to repent, not to continue in sin, but to repent. He says, I did not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Moving forward, verse 33. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, Can ye make children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old if otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better." That is the end of chapter 5. Now, admittedly, that last parable is always one that kind of irritates me, not because it's irritable, but because I struggle with trying to pull out the full meaning. And uh, even now, I still have not gotten the full picture from God that I desire to have about this parable. Only to say, it appears to be talking, like I mentioned earlier, that discipleship is a process. You know, you can't, you don't just instantly uh, become a perfect follower. He says at the end, no man having drank old wine straight away, you know, right away, immediately desires the new, right? Because he'll say the old is better. It takes time to adapt to the new thing, the new way of life. And the same way you can't put a, you can't put a new, patch on an old garment it's just going to rip away it's just not going to apply right and uh so again it's it's a hard parable it really is and i've and i've looked at some commentary from people i usually look at commentary for and not completely satisfied with their commentary but i will read um matthew henry's commentary for you if i can find it again here all right, here's what he says. Matthew Henry says this. It was a wonder of his grace that he proportioned their exercises to their strength. He would not put a new cloth upon an old garment, nor new wine into old bottles. He would not. As soon as ever he called them out of the world, put them upon the strictness and austerities of discipleship, lest they should be tempted to fly off. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he would not bring them by the way of the Philistines, lest they should repent, and when they saw war and returned to Egypt. So Christ would train up his followers gradually, 
to the disciple to the discipline of his family. For no man having drank old wine will all of the sudden straight away desire new or relish it, but he will say the old is better because he has been used to it. The disciples will be tempted to think their old way of living better till they by degrees trained up to this way whereunto they are called. Or turn it the other way. Let them be accustomed a while to religious exercises, and then they will abound in them as much as you do. But we must not be too hasty with them. Calvin takes it as an admonition admonition to the Pharisees not to boast of their fasting, and those noise and show they made with it, nor to despise the disciples because they did not, in like manner, signalize themselves. For the profession of the Pharisees made was indeed pompous and gay like new wine that is brisk and sparkling, whereas all wise men say the old is better. For though it does not give its color so well in the cup, yet it is more warming in the stomach and more wholesome. Christ's disciples, though they had not so much of the form of godliness had more of the power of it. So in a long, you know, in a nutshell, uh, Matthew Henry is suggesting that this is saying that the discipleship takes time. You grow into it because you're not going to straight away desire the new thing. You're not just like a man's not going to straight away desire new wine because in his experience, the old way of doing things is better. So that's the best explanation I can give you for that last parable. Hopefully, something has spoken to your heart this morning. Hopefully, you've been blessed uh, by this study this morning in the gospel according to Luke. Don't forget about the website, please, www.scriptureandprophecy.com. I want to thank those of you who continue to support the podcast even through these difficult times. Uh, It means a lot to me, and it's why this is possible. It would not be possible without all of you who helped me make this possible. You can support the podcast by just going to scriptureandprophecy.com and clicking the Donate and Support, and all the options to support the broadcast are there. All right, my friends. God bless all of you. Thank you so much for your prayers, your support, and I pray that you are being blessed and changed and, and just... Feeling the Spirit of God through these teachings, or studies rather. Peace and grace be with all of you, and until next time, God bless.